0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We're Not Cattle Radio.
2: Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host and shepherd, Jake Counts, navigating you through this crazy world that we live in. It is Tuesday, the 28th day of January 2014, and joining me in the second half hour will be Adam Kokesh of Adam Versus The Man. I guess he's launching the new website, so we'll get the, all the finite details from him. got some stuff to pick this man's brain on, because... Um, he and I have had some interesting, uh, interesting correspondence in the past, and um, really want to get his new take because he seems like he's a a new guy coming out of um, what he went through. And God bless him because I think that would change pretty much anybody. So we'll get into the story of Adam Kokesh a little bit later on. As I said, he will be joining me here at 9:30. But unfortunately, if you are listening to this broadcast live, which I hope that you are every Tuesday and Thursday night from 9 until 10 p.m., you are not watching um, the State of the State, the State of the Union, the State of Obamanisms. So interesting article went up on benswan.com about a drinking game going around. But, um, you know, it really does become – it's almost laughable at this point. for people that that live, eat, sleep, breathe, um, global change, world change, um, ideal change, ideological change, paradigm shift, people like myself, people like Adam that that are trying to get, you know, the old status quo to be dissolved. And I think that that's the main reason that I started the show was to to inform people and then dissolve the status quo. Because this is what the status quo gets you. The status quo gets you um, indebted to to foreign industrialists. It gets you indebted um, your children. I think um, now anybody born under the Obama administration will now have um, over $2 million of debt um, to pay to the private Federal Reserve uh, shareholders before they die. So it is… Um, that's the reason that we that we try to shift the paradigm. We don't need the middleman. We don't need you guys anymore. And the establishment and the and the central bankers and the internationalists or the globalists as Alex Jones like to likes to coin them, are in a race against humanity and whether we can actually get people to understand that the, the best way to culturally survive as a human species is to coexist with one another freely and interact freely and have Um, small um, joint ventures with with other human beings and and do business locally and and get rid of the big box stores. I know it's very difficult. It's very difficult for myself. I have a target that's literally a block and a half from my house, and sometimes the convenience factor strikes, and you have to go do it. But try to support local businesses as best you can. I want to talk to um, Adam about agorism as well. Um, just because it's something that he advocated a lot got me turned on to it, also got me turned on to, um, to precious metals. I was kind of into precious metals a little bit, but once I um, heard his explanation of it and he started his own coin line. And it was just um, – it's one of those things where you where you see somebody doing work and you see somebody taking it to the next level that where you always wanted to get to. And um, and working alongside of him and, and doing a couple of things with him, I um I got the pleasure to see how his operation ran um, from afar remotely and um and you know it's one of those things that everybody's gonna have their their slant and that's what this whole movement is about. Is the liberty movement organized? <laughs> no, we're not very organized. But what we do do is we we basically scatter the internet. With our take on on the liberty, with our take on the non-aggression principle, well, there's not really a take on it. It's just a just a philosophy that you either get or you don't get, or you can have a conversation with somebody. And once again, using using classical trivium method, you can you can support your argument with grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and and explain to people how they've been propagandized, how they've been duped so to speak and there's nothing wrong with being duped and explain to them that you were duped and you were you were in this paradigm for a long time i consider myself a republican because my parents were republicans i mean that's how i was because i didn't think that politics mattered i didn't think it cared i think it was boring i thought of all that stuff until you start getting into how history ties into all these things the real levers of power and then it becomes a um I mean, if you've ever played sports before, it becomes the fourth quarter with two minutes to go, and, and you've got the ball, and you got to make a play. And you either step up to the plate, or you just chicken out and say, you know what, I'm going to let somebody else do it. And I think that that's what most of the people do that either start a blog or start engaging in other people. You are the ones that have already decided that you're going to take the ball, and you're going to run with it, and you're going to give it your best shot, and you're going to try to go down swinging if you can because – you understand that the future that these people bring, the future that the establishment brings, that the ruling class brings, that the internationalists bring, all of these things are not good. You've seen how they've worked in the third world. You've seen how they've worked in Asia. If you've read John Perkins' book, um, I've actually rekindled a dialogue with his um, with his publicist, so I might be able to get him on the show here pretty soon as well. Um, it's it's going to be one of those things that you have to you have to make a conscious effort to learn about it. And once you start learning, it's over. I mean, Josh Wiley, the guy that spends a, a lot of time with me on the podcast and, and, and I, you know, greatly appreciate his insight. And we did have um some dialogue back and forth, but that's once again part of my personality and part of his is that my personality yields to playing devil's advocate, so it's one of those great banters where you can you can take a side and say well what about this angle what about that angle because i want to give you guys the tools when you're out in real day-to-day life to be able to have these conversations on a level and not getting emotional about it that is the one thing that's very very challenging about liberty because it's something that once you get it you get it once you understand that hey as long as you're not telling me what to do i'm not going to tell you what to do as long as you're not bothering me You can do whatever you want in your house in the comfort of your own home, and as long as it doesn't infringe on me or put in danger anybody else on this planet, then we're good to go. So once you understand that, it's very liberating and it's very exciting, and you want to share that. But then again, you're dealing with people that have been conditioned that the state is going to be there to help them, that the state is there for a reason, that the state is there to keep them safe. Just like all the political theater you see with... With the TSA and just like all the other things with the NSA and how they spin that stuff and say that, oh, well, it's to keep you safe. It's like, well whoa whoa, 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 You guys are supposed to be spying on, on foreign countries, not on us. Well, ever since the war on terror, then we got to do this. Well, the war on terror was completely ridiculous because the majority of the hijackers that actually flew planes into buildings came from Saudi Arabia and yet – you guys went and invaded Iraq. Ah, that's a conspiracy theory. So it's, it's a bigger game at play, and once you understand that they're playing three-dimensional chess and you're playing checkers, unless you start reading books and start really trying to understand how all this stuff unfolds, not to say that you have to be a scholar on it by any stretch of the imagination, but at least be able to point out to people that, hey, the ruling class has done this for a long time. Explain to them how the middle class got set up. Explain to them why the middle class was set up. Explain to them little tidbits of history that that they probably learned in high school, but they probably data dump that because they want to find out, or they've got their you know television program in their head and when that's going to come on and what happened last episode. So they already you know they already dumped out what happened in tenth grade, um, in tenth grade history. So we just have to refresh them, and and I think it's a, an exciting time to to be in this movement. I don't um I don't fear um. I guess I don't fear repercussions the way that, that, um, that we should because they can't get us all. And I think we've all said that before. And, and you understand that when you step on this field, when you start protesting the private Federal Reserve, when you start protesting government, you start racking shotguns, you're going to be now um, you know somebody that stands out. And typically what happens, the old adage, what happens when the nail sticks up, it gets hammered down. So you have to understand that going in. But then, once again, it moves back to my point that if you don't do something – you're going to lose all your freedoms. So it's either you, you make a stand and you try to do something good in your life, make a positive impact on the universe, and hopefully that will trickle down to, to future generations, or you decide you're going to be a slave and and then you go off into La La Land and you watch Katy Perry do satanic rituals on the Grammys and, and um, dance around a broom and stand on top of pyramids with, with bright red crosses and, and everything's fine and that's completely normal. So... But I, I don't know if I fault the artists in those kind of situations because I really don't think that they're the one that planned all those things out. So anyway, I don't even know how I digressed into Katy Perry. That was really odd. So once again, thanks everybody for listening. Let's get into a smattering of the news, shall we? I wonder what Obama is talking about right now. I wonder if, I bet he's probably said, if Congress – I bet he said that 15 times already, and we're 10 minutes in. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to watch it after the show and do a critique of it. Maybe, maybe we should do a um, – I don't know. Maybe I should pull it up live when Adam's on the air. We can just have some fun with that. Who knows? So anyway, let's talk about some actual real important news, and that would be what's going on in the Ukraine. Now, the Ukraine has um, denied that they want to actually join the EU and – Why would you? They're just going to suck your country dry and actually destroy your economy and take you down with a ship because that's what they do. A bunch of bureaucrats getting together and they don't do backdoor deals like the TPP or anything like that. Nah, that never happens. Everything is public. Everything is wide out in the open. It's all for your consumption and um, they're just transparent. They're looking out for you. That's what they do. When they initiate carbon taxes without laws, that's what they're doing. They're looking out for you. So <clears throat> one of, the article that I have to support this claim, and it's actually very, very important that you go and read this article once again. I've actually done a very great job. My New Year's resolution is holding true almost an entire month now. I've posted all of my show notes um, with the videos that I talk about as well as the video clips that I, and audio clips that I play on the show. Um, I've posted those on the We Are Not Cattle website under the blog feed under the podcast on the very far right, or you can scroll down to the very bottom, and I created a new tab today so you can scroll through those as well. So this comes from Boiling Frogs Post. Um, Boiling Frogs Post is um, run by a true whistleblower that broke her gag order with the uh, with the federal government and went public that said that um, the American, uh, I think it was the Air Force, was actually controlling Al-Qaeda during 9-11, but hey, that's conspiracy theory because you actually have somebody who comes out and blows a whistle. <laughs> Ridiculous. Anyway, so here's what it says. U.S. NGO uncovered in Ukraine protest. Now, for those of you that don't know, NGOs are um, non-governmental agency or organizations, excuse me, and they're typically nonprofits. This one actually, uh, can, um, Canvas, I think is run by George Soros, but I'm not 100% sure. I think it's one of his subgroups. So to give you an understanding of geopolitics and how geopolitical activities work when you create a destabilization effort like they did over in Egypt and they made it seem like the Egypt uprising was legit now there was some challenges with the government and it always typically works out that way is that there's going to be some challenges in place currently there's already going to be a regime something like an Assad regime over in Syria that's a, once again that's a good flashpoint for them to interject either um, terrorists, uh, NGOs, people to protest, to pay them, and they they pay them to stir up stuff. Basically, is um that's what um it's what we got caught doing, back um with the uh, with the Shah of Iran uh, back in the in the fifties where the the CIA overthrew Mosaddegh. and this is um this is what they did. They used non-governmental guys. They would bust them in. They would pay them. Once again, if you want the dirty little secrets, you can go watch any documentary on the um the removal of Mosedeck. you can listen to uh, John Perkins interviews, uh you can actually read John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman he goes into it there. So um it's um it's a lot of different things going on um in this um in this world of geopolitical gain and there's a lot of people that stand to gain and that's why they do the things that they do because there's money to be made. A lot of money to be made in sucking the Ukraine into the EU and that was a actual literal statement that I made. It's meant to make right there. They're trying to suck these guys in. So anyway, I'm gonna skip down a little bit into this boiling frogs post. Uh, and it says, uh Canvas formerly Upper uh recently significant or received significant money from the US State Department in two thousand to stage successful color revolution against um Miloslavic in and then Yugoslavia since then I've transferred into a full-time revolutionary consultancy for the US posing as a Serb grassroot backed um, democracy and and then it goes on to talk about the opposition and stuff and I'm not going to read the whole article you guys are able to read it but um, in essence what they've done is they've injected these people and they've been so sloppy with this NGO that they've actually used the exact same cutout, uh, the exact same picture of what the what the people are supposed to wear to be the protesters, how they're supposed to dress and everything. And the only thing they did, um, the same cutout from, excuse me, from Cairo, um, back in 2011 when they were overthrowing Mubarak, they um, used the exact same flyer. So they're getting lazy, but that's okay because. You know, Super Bowls this weekend. America doesn't care. It's all right. We can fund, we can fund radical Islam all over the planet. We can fund people to overthrow governments. Fund people to stage terror attacks. It's fine. I mean, that's that's what the good guys do. And the good guys also use drones. So, moving on to my next my next item up for bid here. It is um. It is North Dakota. Actually, let me let me pull up the article here. It says, um, North Dakota cow thief is the first American arrested and jailed with a drone's help. Well, thank God the drones are there. Man, what would we do without drones? So reading this brief article, and I'll skim through it really quickly. Um, it says, Rodney Bassert, the former, uh, a farmer in North Dakota, was arrested for being located, and located by a predator drone. But I thought the drones weren't operating domestically. How did they find him? See, and then it just, its everything's fine, you know, after your, um, your little lapse in judgment and, your, and um, the American people's lack of, um, I guess it's lack of a memory. We do have some real bad memory issues here. Probably some of the fluoride and the chloride in the water, but nah, that, that's conspiracy theory also says that he was sentenced yesterday and was the first American sent to the clink thanks to a drone assist. In June of 2011, Forbes reports that police attempted to arrest him because he wouldn't return three cows that grazed onto his property. Actually, I think that that would, um, depending on how long they were there, that would probably make them legally his, depending on the law in the state. Once again, I'm a country boy from Georgia. I kind of know these things. This resulted in an <coughs> armed standoff between Bassett and his three sons and a SWAT team. Oh, doesn't that sound like freedom? On his property. And then ended um, after the family of the perps was located by a Predator drone um, borrowed from the Customs and Border Patrol. Yeah. Oh, they found him with a Predator. So they could have actually, they could have just shot him with a missile. That would have been nice. And Bossert tried um, tried to have a case to dismiss on the grounds that there was no warrant for the drone surveillance, but the federal judge rejected his motion because, hey, we're the government. We tell you what's going on. Forbes points out that it was disconcerting that drones created to protect American borders are now being used to apprehend American citizens. No, dude, that's freedom. Come on. And having people stick hands down your pants to check for al-Qaeda terrorists with box cutters is also freedom. Although a manned helicopter... Could have had a drone uh, and the same thing. Uh, the danger, though, is a widespread drone use could easily achieve more than buying a helicopter and, and could actually be expensed at your local precinct, every precinct in the country. So this is just setting the precedent. And, man, do all the attorneys in the audience love that slogan, precedent. precedent's already been set. So here we go. Come on out, everybody drones, drones everywhere, there's drones. This is going to be absolutely incredible. I, I can't wait to see what the next five years are going to be like. This is going to be absolutely bonkers. So anyway, um, that's all I got on that front. Everybody understands where I come from on the drone standpoint. It, it's a privacy issue, much like the NSA. Um, so here we go. More fun news. The Pentagon fears that the Chinese military advances might surpass the United States. Um, Anybody that keeps up with my podcast um, will understand that I've talked about this a couple of times, and it says in the next five years. Um, a couple of times because um, come from a military family. You have got uh, family in the military still. Um, all, my, all my father's friends are all retired military, and this is what we talk about. When they come down and have cocktails, we talk about stuff like this. Uh, I talked to uh, a family member about, um, about what concerned him the most. And he said the most concerning thing that he's ever seen was the amount of, and you guys have heard me say this on the show, the amount of, um, the amount of aircraft that the Chinese were building. And he said as the American, the American government begins losing pilots, and they have been at an alarming rate, Just so you know, you can actually go look up the numbers. It's been probably why they're moving to drones, because nobody wants to fly anymore. So we've been losing people at an alarming rate. The Chinese have been gearing up. What does that tell you? Well, probably not some good stuff, seeing as though they own a lot of our debt. And the Chinese typically will sit there and lay in the weeds for a while before they actually make their move. That's just, um, I guess that's kind of like the Sun Tzu um, mentality. That has been spread all over that, over that continent. But it's um it's really uh, it's really alarming from our perspective. And think about where the United States goes if we're not the military power of the world. Think about where we go. Look at how much money we spend on the military. Look at how many people depend on military jobs and contracts, um for these you know for these wars to actually have a livelihood. It's a huge chunk of our economy. So what happens then? What happens when we don't when we're not the you know we're not the global force for good as the navy likes to say what happens then that's the question we're going to be a- I'm going to be asking Adam Kokesh later on tonight so I'm going to I'm going to pummel him with a bunch of questions this should be interesting so shifting gears a little bit let's talk about let's talk about our media here in America now the media has been caught and I've actually posted this on on my site a couple of times every time that they get caught doing something stupid I like to point it out. But once again, the American people are very lackadaisical, and they also have a very short attention span. So they'll typically forget stuff after a little bit, and and they'll just move on. So here is what happened on Face the Nation this weekend. This is the edited-down version that came out this weekend. And um, here is what... um, Here's what Senator Ted Cruz was on Face the Nation, and here's what it sounded like if you watched the the live transmission on that – or not the live, excuse me – the tape-to-air transmission on that uh, Face the Nation. So here's what it sounded like.
1: Will you run for president? Well, look, my focus is on the challenges facing this country right now. It's on the Senate. My focus, for example – is on the abuse of power from the president. Let's take something like the IRS scandal. So Eight do I take ago, that: as a yes or a no, <laughs> or still well? Thinking what, about? what you can take that as is that my focus is standing and fighting right now in the Senate to bring back jobs and economic growth. Economic growth is my number one priority. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thank you, Bob.:
2: Okay, so that is the first clip of what um, Senator Ted Cruz said. Here is what Senator Ted Cruz actually said.
1: Well, look, my focus is on the challenges facing this country right now. It's on the Senate. My focus, for example, is on the abuse of power from the president. Let's take something like the IRS scandal. So do I take that as a yes or a no? (laughs) Or still thinking about it? What you can take that as is that my focus is standing and fighting right now in the Senate to bring back jobs and economic growth economic growth is my number one priority and let me tell you something that deeply concerns me it's the abuse of power from this administration we've seen multiple filmmakers prosecuted and the government's gone after them whether it was the poor fellow that, that, that did the film that the president blamed Benghazi and the terrorist attack on it turned out that wasn't the reason for the attack but the administration went and put that poor fellow in jail on unrelated charges or just this week it's has broken that dinesh D'Souza, who did a very big movie criticizing the president is now being prosecuted by this administration senator but can you imagine the reaction if the bush administration had went gone and prosecuted michael moore and alec baldwin and sean penn senator it should trouble everyone that this administration uses government power and the irs in particular to target their enemies. And, and you're talking in a few minutes to, to Chuck Schumer. We're going to leave this He's for another day, Senator. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you, Bob.
2: <laughs> oh, man. These guys love you. They really do. Look, they're just trying to inform you guys. I mean, what's going on? There's nothing wrong with that. I just edited the entire portion of the interview that had any substance whatsoever out, but, you know, hey, that's what they do. I mean, if, listen, if the American people put up with a dude standing by a fake palm tree with a fan blowing and saying that he's in Iraq, then, oh, I'll put that video down. That'll be in the show archives. If they can do that, they can do stuff like this all day long. It's literally wag the dog stuff now. So... America don't trust your mainstream media. Obviously, if you're listening to this show, you know that. But um give people reference points. Obviously, if I put this up, if I put a couple other I'll put a couple other um mainstream media dupes and discrepancies up there just to show people you can drive them to my site, you can show them, you know, the links that I put up there and show them be like, look, why do you trust these people? It's like it's like what uh, Josh said about MSNBC or um what was it? MSN about um about all their, um, excuse me, I can't remember which agency it was. I don't want to get it wrong, but it was like one of the uh, one of the big agencies, the financial agencies that um, gives you know financial advice to all you guys that are out there sucking it up. Like, um, what's his name? What's the, what's the dude's name that has the uh, mad money? That his wife works for Goldman Sachs, and it's just a big freaking snow job. Anyway. But they lose like all their you know bullish investments lose like eighty percent of them lose money every year. So, I mean, come on, man. Eventually, we're gonna wake up to all this stuff, and it will be, and it will be a very very different world that we live in. But um, it will be a rocky, rocky transition, I believe. But, you know, that being said, we got. Uh, I think I just saw Adam log in, so I'm gonna let him get situated for a second, and. Um, got a lot of good stuff to talk to him about. Let me go to a um, let me go to an audio clip real quick. Get myself situated. Get uh get him on the horn here. Uh let me find some music here. I hope you guys don't come after me FCC, but um let's uh let's see what we got here for an audio. Do I have any audio? Oh man. I'm not going to play I'm not going to play uh I'm not going to play Saxby Chambliss. That would just be torture for you guys. Uh, yeah, here's a good one. We'll, we'll just go with this. And this will lead us into the Adam Kokesha interview.
0: The point of a theory of everything is if you understand the game you're in, you can be a better player. If you understand uh, your purpose here and you know, what the point of your existence is and the whys and hows, then you can interact more productively. So, it, it, uh, the point of writing a big toe and I call it a big toe, not just a toe starting with Einstein um, he started uh, producing a toe it was called unified field theory but that was a, kind of an objective toe to unify all the objective science which in that case meant relativity and quantum mechanics under one overarching understanding but a big toe has to do that has to accomplish that and on top of that, it also has to include consciousness and the subjective world as well as the objective world. So a big toe has to explain everything. So metaphysics, physics, um, you know, paranormal and normal, all of these become one, one thing under one overarching scientific theory. So the big toe is really, is really science. So, consciousness is the source. Mm-hmm. What is consciousness? It seems to me like there are fifty three million two hundred and seventy three versions of consciousness. What is consciousness? I thought it was fifty three million two hundred and seventy four you, <laughs> you must have left one out. Um, consciousness this will this will sound kind of funny to people who who are studying consciousness, but consciousness is Information. It's an information field. Okay? It's data. Consciousness is the only thing that is fundamental. Everything else is derived from consciousness, including this physical reality. Us, our bodies, our brains, whatever. We are all derived from consciousness. So consciousness is the fundamental reality. All else stems from that. Consciousness is information. It's a data field, if you will. It's evolving, so it's self-aware, and it can change itself. It can evolve. It can grow. And we are part of this larger consciousness system, as I call it, that is evolving. And we are part of that strategy for evolution. So as it evolves, we're, we're part of that evolution.
2: All right, and so with that, I have actually got on the line with me, Adam Kokesh from Adam vs the Man. Adam, good to see you again, man.
3: Likewise, thanks so much for having me
2: on tonight, dude. It's a it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, dude. It's it's been a minute. I see that you're growing the goatee back, like I, I I requested right before you got thrown in the cow, So I appreciate that.
3: <laughs> well, you missed you missed the prison beard. I I will actually. Uh, wasn't able to cut my hair or trim my beard in jail. You know, they're not really fond of handing out scissors. And uh, I ended up with a, a real bushy thing. That I, I didn't trust the jail barbers to, to do it for me. And, of course, oh, yes, you can cut your own hair and beard. All you, all you have to do is go through the, uh, the six-month training course and, and get appropriately certified.
2: Oh, nice. Well, I mean, that's pretty, that seems pretty logical and simple.
3: <laughs> if it made sense, it wouldn't be the government.
2: Absolutely, well, um once we, I, I know that this is absolutely killing you that you're you're missing the the state of the state address right now, so I appreciate you taking the time to to spend some time with us and um and just kind of go over you know what's been going on with you and and how um and how things have been going and moving forward and um wow, it looks like i I lost my skype for some reason. That was odd. Hold on a second. Yeah, it looks like I, still I I lost the video on you, but um I guess we're still trying to connect. Whatever. All right, well we'll just go audio. Life sucks by a helmet, huh? Wouldn't be live radio if there wasn't some fun added. All right, well, so <laughs> you know I I wanted to uh, let's let's briefly talk about why you got thrown in there. I mean everybody's heard the story, but um I want to talk about number one why you got why you got put in there. Obviously I was doing a show. When when all the um, when all the ish hit the fam, which really kind of you know sucked for me and sucked for you guys obviously more. But let's um, let's do the brief rundown. Give us the five minute synopsis of um, and take us up to the present day from from the time that you actually committed the, the thought crime in America to the to the time that you actually got out and um, and where we are today.
3: Sure. Well, I originally had wanted to do an armed march on Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, there was a lot of confusion surrounding that, and and honestly, I didn't have the organizational capacity to do it right if uh, I was going to be disappeared at any time, which is what actually happened while I was in Philadelphia a little more than a month before this proposed march, and a park police officer tried to tackle me from behind while I was giving a speech with the microphone in my hand and you know we, we had this is all on video this isn't uh i know it sounds kind of crazy and paranoid when you just put it in those simple blunt terms but that's what happened and they accused me of felony assaulting a federal officer and uh, i i refused to cooperate the whole way and the charges were dropped after a week And i was uh you know it was, it was a really uh smooth play of, of playing hardball and and it working but i wasn't so lucky when it came to Independence Day, so I, I called off the march because, you know, the, the, the idea was to make a point, not to to do something that wasn't safe. And there were, uh, you know, like I said, if 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 I were to, if the government was willing to just disappear me, then trying to keep this thing going would would have been irresponsible. Uh, n- not because it would have been inherently dangerous, but because it would have been uh, I- I- at least somewhat disorganized if if I hadn't if I hadn't been there to really. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say lead it, you know. Cause that's you know. I don't really uh, think of leadership in in, in an organizational sense as essential to a movement of of people who were trying to inspire self ownership in. Sure. But to to be to be at least uh, an organizer, and so we called it off, and I, I decided to make it instead of about fifty state capitals, and let people do their own thing, and in order to live up to the hype that had been created around that and to, to be able to make the same point because remember the, the purpose was not to march on DC armed in order to challenge the force of arms that the United States government can bring to bear but to make the point about self-defense being a civil right about nonviolent uh, assertion of self-defense and to show how the government disrespects that especially in the Capitol and that the Constitution doesn't apply in the city where it's stored mm-hmm. so uh, or kept on ice <laughs> kept uh, I, I don't know there's i'm sure there's a better joke in there somewhere where um where it, it's the only place in america where people are allowed to use hemp as toilet paper and that's because the constitution is written on hemp paper and stored in washington dc right. so uh on independence day i loaded a shotgun at freedom plaza in between the capitol and the white house and uh, you know, This is where I feel really naive in, in underestimating the consequence of this and that the government would come on as, as strong as they did, and I ended up being subject to a SWAT team raid. This was actually the second time that the government sent more men after me than bin Laden and more helicopters this time. Bin Laden only got one helicopter. We had two helicopters over my home in, in Herndon, Virginia. An armored vehicle outside, about forty agents inside, and they knocked down the door with the flashbang grenade right behind it, which is what saved my dog's life because they came in with a dog and he was getting aggressive. And if they hadn't thrown that flashbang grenade right in that split second before they could tell that he was getting aggressive, he he wouldn't have you know he would they would have shot him. Uh, Instead, he freaked out and ran upstairs where my girlfriend at the time was visiting and in the shower on her period, and she was pulled out and had uh, to sit in her own blood for several hours before she was allowed to do anything about that. For myself, you know, I came out uh, into the hallway and had green laser sights pointed at my chest, and we were all cuffed on the floor for five hours while my home was ransacked. I was roughed up a little bit. My firearms and, and other things were stolen from my house. And I was taken away to, you know, the torture chamber at the Fairfax County Detention Center where I was in a room that, where I had a, a t-shirt and shorts. It was too cold to sleep, and uh, the lights were on 24 hours a day. I had no mattress and ants in my cell, and I was on a, a starvation diet, for me at least, of three sandwiches a day. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I wasn't able to do the same play as, as quite as well as I did in Philadelphia and I think that I realized they had a, a better excuse to hold me this time, so uh, I I caved after three days and took the DNA test, the the DNA swab, and allowed them to give me a tuberculosis test. Uh, whereas before I, I I refused the entire time I was Philly and, and was in solitary isolation there. Uh, although I wasn't technically in solitary, I was in the the isolation unit with uh, with my friend N A Poe. Who was arrested at the same time at the same event in in Philly, and uh, I was in. I, I told him uh, it, it's against my religion to let government agents put needles in my body, and it still is. But I'll uh, I'll break my religious convictions in order to not be starved, uh, you know, or uh, you know, put in in that difficult situation. I was then transferred to normal solitary confinement, and uh, eventually. Uh, to Washington D.C. where I was in solitary for another month and a half for my own protection, of course.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: And I got to the general population after two months, and you know they they were all afraid that oh it's a high profile case you know you're going to have some attention and hostility and it was the opposite you know I was greeted with open arms. And the first day I got the general population, dudes were coming up, oh, man, I saw you on TV, I love your stuff, that's amazing, wow, you know, and couldn't find anybody who was for gun control in jail, surprisingly enough. Uh, There's no one, you know, who who can with a straight face say, yeah, we like gun control because we want our victims disarmed. And the vast majority of people in this facility were there for victimless crimes. So it's uh, certainly... A a fun issue there. And, you know, I I ended up taking a plea after four months incarcerated. And it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I really felt like I was backed into a corner. And one of the reasons was as great as the support was from from my audience, you know, and I got thousands of letters. uh, You know, it it, it wasn't able to connect through my team because the people that I trusted with my business operation, sold my legal defense fund, uh, lied to me sabotage my operation to try to cover their tracks and so when i and and then we didn't have the support from the larger gun rights community Mm -hmm. and when i got out you know i didn't come home to a mess uh i didn't come home to anything because i was homeless i'd been evicted and was about to get taken to court in virginia for um by my landlord because I owed him $24,000 in damages to the house. And so I was able to negotiate that down and take care of that. But, you know, I was pretty well wiped out when I got out of jail
2: sure.
3: and, uh, you know, I, I decided to lay low for a couple of months until sentencing, which I, I, I think was the right strategy. Couldn't give them any excuse to say he hasn't learned his lesson. So right. we're, mm-hmm. we're going to, uh, you know, he needs to go back to jail. And on, on this past Friday I was sentenced to, to 20 months suspended, with two years probation, $350 fine, and I'm banned from the District of Columbia. So it's uh, it, it, I I I really underestimated the cost to myself of this activism, and you know, silly naive me to think, oh yes, they're going to knock on your door and then they're going to invite you in to be booked overnight, and then you'll go before a judge and get bailed out and have a fair shot at a constitutional trial. Here uh, you
2: go, no, Keshe, here's your arrest warrant. We would like to handcuff you now.
3: Right, it didn't exactly go down that way, and you know, I I do feel a little bit naive in that sense. But while uh, the cost that I've paid to make the point that self-defense is a civil right was high, it, it it definitely paid off and was extremely successful in terms of activism and spreading the message. And you know, we, the the local you know we had pretty serious national TV coverage the local tv coverage was super intense every time i went to court while i was in general population and it was like half a dozen times all, you know all the inmates would be like oh dude we saw you on tv again it was awesome cuz all the local tv guys loved playing that uh 20 second clip of me loading the shotgun great visual easy you know cheap shot for ratings for for them
2: absolutely
3: but i i definitely did not expect to to be betrayed the way that I was and to be starting from scratch. And so now I'm raising the money to, to relaunch Adam versus the man properly and apply the lessons that I've learned. But I, I do bear uh, complete responsibility for that. I mean, aside from the government and, and the people that actually stole from me, but uh, you know, I, I, really did set myself up for failure with my business plan, relying on unreliable people. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to come back stronger and, and better than ever before. And it and also it kind of hurts me to admit it, but my production was about half of what it should have been because of poor organization and, and inconsistent production values. And, you know, I'm, I'm definitely learning the, uh, you know, I put together the, the business plan. If we raise $100,000 in the next month, it'll be no problem to be able to address those issues and, and, like I said, come back back stronger, and not just with a better product for libertarians, but... To really, you know, craft the show to be something that's uh, a powerful outreach tool and something that you can bring non-libertarians to, and, and uh, something that people can use to grow the movement.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's one of the. You know, I touched on that earlier tonight, and I, and I wanted to get your take on this. Uh, I think that organization is um, is a is is a actual detriment in the liberty movement from some for some degree. But it's also a very big strength because we're all coming at it with so many different angles and so many different takes that it's kind of like a shotgun approach rather than a laser approach. And eventually somebody's going to hear you know, a take on liberty that they like, and then they're going to latch on and learn about the non-aggression principle, learn about all these other things, and then, and then we've got them. And I'm not meaning to say we've got them, but we've basically unlocked somebody to, to the dangers and, and the threat of the state. So. Right,
3: and and once you get it from that philosophical perspective, you don't go back.
2: Oh, absolutely not. Now, once you once you've learned how detrimental the state can be, and and once you've understood that that all this stuff that you've been sold your entire life, and I I, I watched one of your interviews and I thought it was really um really on point, saying that the reason you became a libertarian is because you didn't want to be a Republican and you didn't want to be a Democrat. And it was kind of the same thing with myself. Like, I was a Republican my entire life, and then I was like, well, I don't want to do what these guys do. They're a bunch of jackasses, and the Democrats are a little bit crazy. So I guess I'm an independent. I don't even know what that means, but I don't like either side because you get sold in this um, in this um, plutocracy that we live in that you have to be on one of these teams, and it's the divide-and-conquer strategy. And um, I think it's really good that we all – you know, try to reach people in different ways, and everybody's got their own take and everybody's got their own delivery. But I wanted to get into um, some news, if you're ready. Um, what did you, you, you think about the the head of uh, BitInstant getting arrested? And what do you think that signifies for cryptocurrencies in general? Yeah, Charlie
3: Shrem, uh, I, I consider him a friend, and I'd interviewed him a couple of times for Adam versus The Man. And to see what happened to him and what he's facing just really breaks my heart i i i think we can still isolate this however from bitcoin sure and i think bitcoin is 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 coming under increasing scrutiny but they're not going to be able to contain it at this point the cat's out of the bag you know they can control some of these things uh like like charlie strem's operation and you know they can um you know it, it's it's it, there is going to be that higher standard of scrutiny for people doing big things with bitcoin and that's that's really scary but in terms of you know the the, the adoption cryptocurrencies are here to stay no doubt about it mm-hmm. this is the future they you know the, the, there's no way they're going to stop this and and in 5 to 10 years I really believe that this is the the, the future of money. When when it, you know the, the technology it's not the, not even the technology mm-hmm. it's really just the applications of it that need to be developed just just a little bit more sure. so that when people go cuz cause, cause, you know right now people can go okay I get it Cri- you know cryptocurrencies increase in value inherently fiat currencies inherently decrease in value I don't want to hold fiat anymore how do I hold crypto it's not like you can click over with all of your cash, but it's going to get there, I think, within a couple of years even, and then it's just a matter of time, and it's it, that can't be stopped. And the, the government knows this, and I, I don't think they're...
2: And so do JPMorgan Chase and the other big banks. They're breaking their stuff out of mothballs and saying, hey, we had this idea back in the 90s. We're going to start deploying this stuff too. But I don't think that anybody's going to trust the establishment once they... I mean, if you're already into cryptocurrencies, you know about the Fed, you know about all these, uh, the international banking group, you know about um, the the internationalists, and and you just don't want to, you don't want to enslave yourself, you don't want to enslave uh, um, future generations, and that's one of the reasons why we do what we do.
3: Absolutely.
2: So let's move on to um, this is one of one I wanted to pick your brain on. With all the NSA spying going on, obviously domestic spying is something that is just a, a big it's a big red flag. It's like, okay, you know tyranny's here when you're getting spied on, and now everything's getting spied on, all of our communications, and they say it's to protect us, and we we both know that's a bunch of crap. But what what would you say would be a reasonable collection of data? let's say that um let's say that if if the NSA, once again government agency, so let's not put it out there that it's going to do something, you know, overwhelmingly great. But let's say that they did something that I thought would be legitimate and and my friends in the tech world also think would be legitimate. And that's if you want to take all the data, that's fine. But if you encrypt it all until you get until you get a warrant or until you have reasonable cause to go search that person's data, it stays encrypted and it stays with a third party. What what would you say would be something you know? Um, because we're never going to be able to undo the surveillance state. It's unfortunately, that's the that's the world that we live in. And I think you would agree that technology is going to be there, and whether we can capitalize on it and use it for our own gain, or if it's going to be used by the state only, I think that's what the real debate in the future is going to be.
3: Well, first of all, I disagree with the premise that we're never going to get rid of the surveillance state because it's our destiny as a species to achieve a voluntary society. There is no appropriate amount of data for the government to collect because it is inappropriate for the government to exist in the first place. I would agree. Now, I think what you allude to is the power of this surveillance, and I'm a big fan of technology, and I think it's really important that we have this mechanism of accountability. I love the idea of cameras everywhere, and I know that sounds crazy to people that value their privacy, but bear with me here, because when you think about the technology behind it, it's not the technology that's evil, it's the application of it by government. And if anything... I'm kind of encouraged by the, the by the fact that this is coming out now the way that it has not because of Snowden per se although that's a brilliant thing that he, that he was able to do and it's incredible that that information is coming to light now but because the state hasn't really stopped it or fought it or tried to deny it they want you to know what they are doing fundamentally they want you to know that you are being watched mm-hmm. and if you look at the history of this in the in the collapse of governments this is the last phase before the government goes into its violent death throes and desperately clings to power as it's on its way out. Yep. So I'm kind of encouraged on the long run by this phenomenon now coming up the way that it has. So the technology empowers us to have accountability. Like I said, there is zero data that would be appropriate for governments to collect on anyone. It is because you're talking about a violent protection racket spying on people. But when that technology is controlled by the market, the the appropriate amount of data to be collected will be determined by the market. Now, what I envision, and this really isn't very far-fetched technologically, is where we're going with cell phones, just for starters, going into our contact lenses, right? I think Google Glass is kind of an intermediary technology here. But you can imagine when we all have, the camera in our contact lens mm-hmm. streaming our life into the cloud for perfect accountability, wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want, you know, the the the, the protection that that affords you? No one can attack you without creating a record of it. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Now, the downside of this you, you see right away is if you have a, a camera in your contact lens recording everything going on 24-7, you're going to record some... Uh, unsavory or perhaps overly private experience as well. Mm-hmm. And where we're going with the technology, though, and I think you alluded to this, allows for something like encryption right. or accountability for anybody that accesses it. And I think if we are able to upload it to some kind of cloud and no one is able to access it without accountability, then, then it's not going to be a problem.
2: And that's what I was trying to get at. Never, I would never want the state to have all of this data and have it at a, at a push-button you know, oh well, we can just unencrypt it now. Everything's fine. I I meant it right. in the in the fact that we could use it as a species, like you were saying, and turn it into and I've talked about this many times. Turn it into a completely transparent society where you can't hide secrets anymore. I'm sorry, but secrets are gone. Yeah, those those things are gone. Oh, well, you, I
3: see. This is this is a, make, make one extra, extra leap just, just in in the, the sort, sort of software, software and accountability for this sure. because yeah. like yeah, if it's there. Hypothetically, anybody can break into it, but I, I think that where we're going with the technologies is we're going to have accountability for it. So it'll it would be near impossible. Uh, while while it might be possible to hack into that data and get the recording of you getting friendly with your wife, you know, it's gonna there's going to be perfect accountability for it as well. Well, if someone does breach that. You'll have the technology to hold them accountable, and the crime of violating someone's privacy by hacking into their data stream will be will be, uh, you know, the, the mechanism of accountability will be there, which which even today is possible, but we don't have because the government prevents it.
2: Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Now here's um here's the next thing. We only got a few more minutes left here, unless you want to do some extra time. Um let's talk about agorism and let's talk about how people can to move off the reservation and one of the things that i i really do applaud you for was you got me turned on to precious metals um not just because they had your pretty face on it but because it um because it got me thinking outside the box i was one of those guys that was Even when I was a little kid, I I told my mom that I wanted to have silver, and when it was five dollars, I didn't even know why. (laughs) I thought it was a good investment. I was like, "Hey, that stuff never." I'm like, I I knew a little bit of history because I read Benjamin Franklin's biography and I read all these other little, you know, pick-me-up books from, you know, the time I was in like third grade. So I understood that that used to be coinage, that used to be currency, that used to be money. I was like, "Wait a minute." That stuff's always going to have value. You always make things out of silver, so I made that connection at a very young age, but it was you that brought it back to the home front and said that this is the way that we can move off the reservation utilizing agorism, utilizing these tactics to, to defund the internationalists, to defund the, the big mega banks that, that really do hold us and, and, um, and, our, and our families and our future in debt slavery.
3: Absolutely, but now the uh, the technology is getting past this, and and one of the things now I'm I'm not a an expert on on monetary policy or, or or money in general, although I'm certainly no more than the average American. And, and, and one of the most important things to think of in all these debates is like how much did the average American, how much thought did the average American put into using the dollar? <laughs> yeah, Zero, absolutely. You know, and, and and how much thought did they put into challenging it? next to zero Mm -hmm. mommy where does money come from i don't know ask your dad daddy where does the money come from uh the bank federal reserve the bank go away you know and that's it and you're you're taught to just accept that so do we need you know like i think about some of the hours based systems that are also very powerful community currencies that are that are essentially credit based and uh, you know similarly fiat currencies People will say, "Oh, you know, coming from the Austrian perspective, oh, well, that money's not backed by anything. That's not gold or silver. That can't work." And it's like, "Hello, the dollar worked. This is working. People who, you know, aren't doing it shouldn't get in the way of the people that actually are." And and the same thing is true, in a sense, with with cryptos on a bigger scale. And th- there's actually a significant disadvantage to gold and silver is that to use something that is of inherent value like that as a currency means that you have to sort of take it out of circulation gold that is being used as currency is not being used in technology or jewelry or, or what have you and cryptocurrency really has the sort of best of both worlds of being something that is decentralized and not controlled in a way that can be inflated or manipulated but it's also backed by nothing and you could say and, and I, like to, I like to kind of retort from that and say well no it's actually backed by its own encryption because its inherent value is as a ledger as an account of value and the fact is proof and concept now that's all you need to have a functional currency.
2: Right you just have to have the the appearance of value it doesn't have to have any sort of as long as it has value in the, in the minds of the medium of exchange that's all that really matters and I think that's what you were alluding to right there when you said that Nobody thinks about how much a dollar is worth. They just know that it takes three dollars to buy a Big Mac or whatever it is. Right. All right. So, um, so moving on really quick, and then um, I guess we can we can wrap up unless you want to do five more minutes. What do you What do you see going? Yeah, happy- yeah. What do you see going on with um with what what happened in the Ukraine? I touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, with the U.S. once again meddling in in foreign affairs, trying to stir up revolutions because. Because all these these global powers of the, the EU and and the North American Union and all these other geopolitical um avenues are really trying to come together and they're in their death throes too. So it's like it's like you see not only the death throes of, of government itself, but you start seeing the death throes of, of even bigger combined government and I see the the old Zignar Brzezinski grand chessboard of of we're going to conquer the world and we're going to do it through organization and we're going to do it through government, I see that failing. But that also scares the crap out of me because these guys have infinite money. They will do things like they did with the NGO where they send in the non-government organization, the nonprofit over there, to stir up stuff when stuff really didn't need to be stirred up. I mean, it was just, hey, we don't want to join the EU, don't want to join Russia, we just want to be a sovereign country. And I think Mm -hmm. you and I agree um, to an extent that – that um, that borders are just lines drawn on maps by politicians. That eventually, I'd love to go to a a, a non-bordered world, but I don't want to go to it on their terms. So what? Right.
3: Would, well, it's it's if, a non-border. It's it's not a non-bordered world, but it's borders defined by private property rather than politicians, and that's the important distinction. And I'm sure you're on board with that concept, if if I may take a kind of long way of answering this question.
2: Sure. I, 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 I posed a long question, so there
3: you go. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely uh, packed a lot into that, and, and the, the biggest topic there is really right now. I, I wrote a book while I was in jail. Or I started writing a book while I was in jail. And I finished it right before sentencing. I'm really excited about it. It's called Freedom. And it's going to be the new scripture for the global freedom movement. Uh, modest goal, I know. But uh, it's a book that no one's written before. And when it came to me as an idea, I was like, wait a second, nobody's written this book? I get to be the guy that writes this book? Mm-hmm. And there are two things that I think are, are legitimate intellectual contributions to the movement that I've made in there, and one is the relationship with uh, happiness causing freedom, happiness being a choice and getting past the emotional slavery that is used to manipulate us. Okay, that's my shameless plug for the coming book that's coming out Independence Day Aside. Okay, so my second genuine intellectual contribution there is localization. Not that it's an original idea, but in the context of achieving a voluntary society, it's very important that Uh, we actually provide the answers for people because libertarians are accused of being uncompassionate. And if you understand libertarianism as the non-aggression principle, as universal non-violence, holy crap, there's no more compassionate philosophy out there. There's no more compassionate way of looking at the world and your fellow human beings. Like, how the heck do we get accused of being uncompassionate when we say we want to end the welfare state because it's violent we want to replace it with non-violent means of achieving the same ends? People will go, well, tough. I don't see it. And libertarians in the past have generally failed to answer this question. And, and, and a lot of times libertarians are then tempted to, to cede some form of minarchism.
2: Right. Well,
3: okay, well, we need government for just this or just that. And, and minarchism is really the most dangerous idea to the cause of liberty because it's fundamentally saying I only want violence to be used for things that I haven't figured out how to achieve peacefully yet. To which any big government advocate can reply, yeah, me too. And localization is why I'm running for president in 2020 on the platform of an orderly dissolution of the United States federal government. This is how we actually achieve a voluntary society. Murray Rothbard got us to education and activism and political action, and Sam Edward Konkin III got us to agorism, Mm -hmm. but you you engage in agorism and you disempower the state, and you get people living independently, and then what? You you hope that the government spares you when it's violent death throes as it desperately clings to power, and okay, you've got a bunker and you've got ammo and you're going to go bug out, great – you're the ones the government's going to come after first. Right. They're going to protect the ones cowering in the cities. They got you to go after. You're the target at that point. And I, I don't say don't be prepared. I think that's very important as well. But then to to get, to get bring this back about to your question, in a way you could say that what's happening now is that process. And in the EU, it really is about localization. People don't want to be part of the EU. They understand that it's just a bigger, more concentrated ripoff. And this process... Of localization is is a wonderful idea because it allows people who are not converted to voluntarism to liberty to say okay well more local government I might be a liberal or a conservative or a mainstream statist I will be governed appropriately or more tailored to my needs or the needs of my community and that's a huge step in the right direction you can also reclaim a lot of the unjustly acquired property that has happened through big government and libertarians have failed in the past to have a really good answer for that. Okay, so you have a concept of unjustly acquired property. What do we do to reclaim it? Well, do we use big government to do it? No, you can use local government to do it. And it's a very powerful process that you can imagine as you get down to the county level, to the city level, ultimately down to a property-based society, and the divine individual is respected as the supreme, sovereign individual. And this provides the transition to do this peacefully because the alternative is, as we pointed out, to wait for the collapse, to do it violently. Right. Localization is going to happen one way or another, with or without us, Right. facing up to it. The question is, can we face up to these problems and the unsustainability and do it peacefully? And I think we can.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's one one thing that we need to push to, to people. And, you know, I push to people to get involved and, and, and talk about the power of – of just holding a sign and talking about how that just just being involved in your community, being involved in in doing something that um, that you believe in, whether it's going and protesting the Federal Reserve, whether it's going and being involved in, in local community government, whatever it is, you would be amazed at how much of a charge that gives you and how much more alive you feel rather than just sitting at home watching television. And um, and one of the things that I see with with your philosophy here that – that I, I see a roadblock and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a bit because that's just my personality type, man. Right. sorry about that. Please. but we still run into the we still run into the possible or the actual the challenge of of informing the people about how this all should work, and I don't mean in in, in a condescending way, but the way that people believe that government works now, they have no clue how it works. So now we have to teach them how to to centralize and get organized and. And do all these things and we run into the same conundrum of well, how do we teach people to be organized when people are apathetic and lazy in America? And it's no fault yep. of our own. They've reaped the benefit of empire. And now they're not reaping the benefit of empire over the last ten years because Empire has said, you know what? We got we got no more fuel in the tank because we can't we can't perpetrate all the unjust wars that we used to. We can't sell no bid contracts like we used to. People are starting to yep. you know, watch us more closely. So now what do we do? We'll, we'll we'll turn it on to the people. We'll start selling cameras and stuff onto the people. We'll sell the uh, the armored vehicles to the local, you know, local governments, just get them out of inventory, do something with them because we can't have these depleting assets sitting here. And you know, I don't get into a, a big frenzy about, you know, trying to get people more involved in local community government because it, it, it involves the process of them being aware of the challenge first and then taking action. What would you say to that?
3: Well, again, localiz- localization provides the answer, and, and localization as a policy of localizing government, taking them apart from the top down, goes hand in hand with localism and being more engaged at the local level, and, and having your community be more independent and being able to practice agorism and, and you know have co- you know community defense organizations and not be defendin- dependent on the police state and you know uh, community aid organizations, so you're not dependent on the welfare state as a community. These are these are all important mechanisms, sure. but the transition provided for by localization is one that inspires self-government and and that's why this transition is so powerful and i think you're right in pointing out that Things have to get worse in a way before they get better. The, the economic situation for the average American as a citizen of the empire, I think is, – is that what you were kind of referring to?
2: Absolutely. It's, yeah. the, it's the benefits that they have received and, and the you – know, it's the benefits that they've received about being part of the empire. We, we actually don't have to do uh, manual labor that much anymore. There's a large portion of the population that's just a service economy. And now it's moving into a tech economy. So people are becoming, and one of my fears that I love technology much like you, but technology is making us much much less informal. It's, making, it's, it's actually disconnecting us to some extent. And so now we have to re-grain, re, reclaim that humanity part, and that's what I preach on my show a lot. I don't know how often you listen or if at all, but I preach to people of if you understand this information, if you understand the philosophy behind what we're trying to do, you need to strike up conversations with people in the grocery line. You need to strike up with, you know, conversations with people everywhere. Because as you strike up conversations, you'll realize that there are more of us out there than it seems, but we're all so conditioned to keep to yourself, keep your head down, keep your feet moving. It's not it's not human nature to interact with people, and I think that that would be a big nah. direction.
3: Well, no, I, I, well, I disagree just with that last premise, especially that it, it's not human nature. It is human nature to interact it with is, people, but
2: the, and, and the I think, state, but the state and the establishment teaches us that it's not, you know, don't question anything, don't speak out, don't do anything that's out of the ordinary, or
3: only relate to people via government.
2: Correct. Yeah. that's what I was trying. say okay. uh, that was a bad, uh, bad choice of words.
3: Sure. Well, this is this is why localization again, and, and I, just to finish my point is so uh, it, it provides the perfect mechanism of transition in that when government is localized when when the biggest government in imagine that we 're halfway there and the biggest government in America is at the county level, well, guess what everybody is participating more everybody sees the benefit of participating and it 's not quite self government in the truest sense but greater participation in violent government. Government, as opposed to self-government that is peaceful and nonviolent, is still inspiring people to to have that awareness and giving them the opportunity to see the benefit. But it it has to be combined with the failure of the current system it has to be combined with an obvious mechanism of increase, increasing quality of life and i think americans are, are already at that point i mean even for the average american who's on welfare and goes i love this this is great i never have to work and i can sit at home and smoke pot all day and i'm happy and comfortable and if i'm going to do something ambitious it'll just be under the table like you know, the, the, for them to see that there is a, a possibility of a better world, that the the consequences of this, of the police state and everything that goes along with it, are not worth those conveniences are, are I think, already setting us up for success when it comes to, to pitching this as a concept to people. But the power vacuum argument is a legitimate one, and I resisted this for a long time. And it, it, it's true, uh, you know, and I, and I kind of, you know, glossed over the, you know, immediate implications. And I knew I was right, uh, you know, in the fundamentals, but the power vacuum argument is that if you just overthrow government, you'll get something worse in its place. And that's true if all you do is overthrow government or it collapses. But if you localize it, and and, and what I really knew inherently was that you have to replace it with self-government. That is what the power vacuum is filled with. This is how it is fostered.
2: So instead of, instead of overthrowing the state in some violent revolution where you go for the top of the pyramid and start pulling people out of the offices, you just basically defund it through, through localization. Is that what you're saying?
3: No, no, no. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that there is going to have to be a certain deliberate centralized approach to, to create a, a peaceful transition away from these central governments. That's, for me, it's, I, I think in America, it's, it's electoral and, you know, that, like I said, I'm running for president on the platform of dissolving the federal government. And it, it needs to be done in, in that kind of peaceful, orderly way. Although, to, to get back to your question about, like, what's going on in the Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, and to connect that to the Arab Spring, mm-hmm. one could say that the Internet is already inspiring people to stand up and demand self-government, and the violent conflicts that we're seeing are a, a manifestation of this. Mm-hmm. Governments are already forced to resort to violence in order to repress Protests in so many parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Of course, in America, where we have the best propaganda that money can buy, <laughs> you can suppress it and you can divert it and you can slander activists like myself that are actually working on these bigger issues. So uh, you know, it's uh, you could say that, that that we're already getting there. And you know, I'm sorry to have to cut it off at, at, at that. I really appreciate you guys having me on tonight, and and it's uh, it's always a wonderful experience talking to you. But uh, I do have another interview coming up. Yeah, man. And uh, I'm I'm just. I'm really excited that so many people have, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, going out and, and doing intense activism and, and suffering the consequences as I have has given me a bigger platform, not just uh, outside the movement but within the movement as well. I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of that, and I hope that people who hear me and appreciate my perspective and my message and know what I'm capable of with Adam versus the Man are going to help support me, get back on my feet. We've got a great crowdfunder campaign set up at adamversusaman.com with a lot of great kickbacks and fun packages. So please check that out and and, uh, and, and do what you can. I, I don't want people to pity me or, or feel sorry for me in any way. I, I know how to be happy in any situation, and I think we all should. It's an important part of my message. That was the other real epiphany that I had while I was in jail about happiness being a choice. And I, I just want people to, to be able to put their money where their mouth is and, and, and support what they value and, and see that, Uh, Adam versus the man is going to come back stronger and better and and be an asset to them and to this movement.
2: Well, we appreciate the time, man. We appreciate your efforts and everything that you do. And uh, it's always easy for people to criticize people that aren't on the field playing ball, and you're obviously out on the field uh, doing the deal. So we do appreciate you, man, and I'll um, I'll put the links in my show notes. So best of luck to you, man, and I hope that everything turns out well and uh, maybe one of these days I'll be a guest on your show again.
3: Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir.
2: Take care, buddy. See ya. There he goes, everybody. Adam Kokesh of Adam vs the Man. It is um, well, we ran over a little bit. I actually kept him a little bit too long, so but a good good debate nonetheless. It's always good to talk to people and hear refreshing ideas about how we can, you know, move the meter, you know, because if we stay stagnant, then we're all going to be in the, in the same spot that we've been in for the longest time, and that is, um, we're going to be under the boot. Of, of the good old government. And speaking of which, I'm actually going to go now and try to pull up the State of the Union address and um, try to find some kind of bag to vomit in. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Be sure to tune in this uh, Thursday. I'm interviewing a gentleman, the director of the um, Hyperbaric PHP, um, People Helping People. Um, we're going to be talking about hyperbaric medicine, treatments, um, the history of hyperbarics, and um, if anybody has an um, an ailing um, father, grandfather, family member that has, suffers from stroke, autism, uh, any kind of um, uh, MS, any kind of brain um, or spinal disorder, please tune in. Tell everybody to tune in on Thursday because what we're going to talk about is groundbreaking. They are doing some. Um, they are doing a great case study that is probably going to make national news and national headlines once they're done. So um, it is going to be a fantastic show. So tune in this Thursday, 9 o'clock. Tell everybody about it. We'll probably do a little bit of extra time just like we did here. But that's it for the show tonight, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Remember, as I say always, and um, uh, I guess that's a great way to end the show, get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And um, like Adam said, if we get involved on the local level, we might be able to reverse this stuff. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to tune in this Thursday. Follow me on Twitter. We are not cattle. The number one. Actually, you can find all my stuff at my website, wearenotcattle.net. Thanks again, everybody. See you Thursday. Tell everybody you know. Uh, Lee Camp's coming up uh, either next week or the week after. So, stay tuned for that as well. Take care, everybody.